did that on purpose. Nobody said anything, so I got a head start in the crying, so who knows what's going to happen today? Everybody? There's no crying in baseball. All right, announcements. Thanks to everybody that helped out with the cleaning yesterday. I know I wasn't able to be here as long as I would have liked, but um, it looks so much better. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who pitched in and however long you were here or whatever you did. Um, it's a great help to all of us. So that's like what Rachel said, that's what our community is about. And so here we go again, crying. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so thank you to everyone. Herb, did you take a picture of the Blow Pops box? Blow Pops box? Oh, what do you man, mean? man, you missed it. Oh. <laughs> oh. What? So, I wanted to take a picture. So Herb finds a box of Blow Pops we had for some event. Like three years ago. And back. all At is least. left is sticks. <laughs> The oh, mice the mice found those, the too. Blow pops. Excellent. It's just, it's just a box full of sticks. We've been feeding, hey, yeah. oh, yeah. we were feeding the mice really well. I bet. Oh, that is hilarious. We are working on this mouse problem, but for those of you that were here maybe during the week at different things, like you could hear them running in the drop Because they've had so much sugar. They're yeah, it was all the sugar. They've been doing that for three days. Like small children are mice. Okay, so I'm so bad. We have an if table coming up. When, do you know when it is, Rachel? It's, it, it's at Stacy's house. This coming Thursday, okay, six o'clock, Stacy's. So if you're not in the um, Mary and Martha page and you're a lady, um, just let me know and I'll add you to the page because the event is through that page. So um, come and join at Stacy's house. It will be a good time to eat and to chat and to just spend time loving on each other. Um, women's group, six o'clock Wednesday night we eat. Seven o'clock we start doing our spiritual practice and like I was boohooing about earlier. It's been a really uh, awesome time for definitely the core of us who've been there pretty much every week and we have some other folks that have come in and out. But um, I, I really appreciate the level of vulnerability that the women are offering in the group and we're enjoying different kinds of prayer practices every week. And I think we're all finding different spaces where we are growing in our prayer life and other spaces that are uh, pushing on us a little bit more um, things that are harder for us to do um, but it's really neat like some of the practices we're doing lately are more contemplative practices with a lot of spaces of silence and you don't realize how long five or ten or twenty minutes is until you actually sit and don't do anything um, but some of the things that I think it's helped some of us really work through some things that are going on in our lives and then be able to dialogue with each other about it has been so helpful. So come, we want to see all of the ladies to that. And men, I know you guys are slacking, but if you want to do something like that, talk to Herb and Quinn. Okay. I have one more women's yeah. thing again. Another women's thing. Yoga is coming. Um, probably the beginning of December, I'm trying to work out details with Jackie Garn, who's a certified yoga instructor. So it would be Saturday mornings for just one hour for probably five or six sessions, then we'll kind of take a break. So anyway, 
I think it'll start December, whatever the first week is. December 2nd. December 2nd, I think. Yes. Anyway, but it's women only, no child care, so figure out your child care now, Saturday mornings. And we may open it up to men in the future. We might, we're yeah, just, we're going to do just, just women round. now, and then we may women do the next thing. But we just want it to be a girls thing. Yeah, so. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Herb is not happy. He wanted to come, but... <laughs> now it'll be good. It'll be good for Jackie. Jackie really wants to do something to help serve the living room also, and so it's a good thing. And so, and so if you don't know, Jackie Garn is the mom of Abbott Garn, who passed away uh, last spring. And so one of the things that she did after he passed away was to work on finishing her yoga certification. And so this is kind of exciting for us to be able to help facilitate that. To come to fruition you know like following through on that thing so that's cool anything else anybody okay let's pray gracious god giver of so many incredible gifts have we come before you today acknowledging those gifts that you've given to us. Lord, we know some of us come into this room with just full hearts and open minds and ready to receive <clears throat> whatever you bring today. And Lord, we know there's other people in this room that are coming into this space struggling. We're having a hard time seeing the way that you're moving. That they're standing in that space with Elijah last week and not hearing you and not feeling you and not knowing that you're there. But God, that we can cling on to the knowledge that you are there. You do hear us. You do know us. God, for all the ways that we are different here, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraging to one another. That we would love one another that when we can go out of this space, that that love that we have for each other would shine. That everyone who sees us can see your love reflecting off of us, because we have been to the mountaintop, right, God? We've been to the mountaintop with you, and we have seen you, and we are reflecting you. So Lord, as we dive into this word from Amos today, God, let's go to the mountain and to the depths with Amos. Let's see you. We pray that your love and your light and your truth would rub off on us, that we would share your love and your light with the world. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be holy and pleasing to you, my Lord and my Savior. Amen. So I am so stoked to bring you this text today. Um, the prophet Amos is a pretty cool dude. Um, I think the book of Amos was something that was kind of underground for a really long time and people didn't talk about it until Martin Luther King decided to pull out one of the verses that we're gonna talk about today in the I Have a Dream speech. And I think he was speaking to a condition that we all see day in and day out in our world, a condition of injustice. Um, and so this book is 
about speaking truth to power, which when you look at all of the prophets, they're speaking truth to power. Um, so I wanted to give you guys a little of a visual background because we jumped through a whole bunch of stuff in the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to start trying to do that and Quinn will do this. Just point at me. Okay. So, so this is a bigger, gigantic um, timeline, but I kind of tried to crop it just because there's no way you'd be able to see anything um, if I made it bigger. So uh, what has happened in the last couple of weeks is we were we talked about Saul, we talked about David, and we kind of touched on Solomon the week that Steve was teaching because he talked about Solomon building the temple. But after Solomon's reign was over, um, Israel split into two kingdoms. So you've got the northern kingdom, which is the ten tribes of Israel, and you've got the southern kingdom of Judah, which is the two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And so listed here are the kings that have come along. So the the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. And then in this middle section are sort of the timelines and the days of different prophets that are speaking to these different leaders. So the two that were talking that we talked the one we talked about last week was Elijah. He's speaking truth to power in Israel. And today we're talking about Amos, who's speaking truth to power in Israel. So there's not a lot that's changing. We got some major issues going on in both Israel and Judah. But what's interesting is that the texts that we have in the Bible and the Old Testament are written mostly from the perspective of Judah because they're the ones who won. Because you see the end of the timeline right here? Israel goes away. It's conquered by Assyria after the time of Amos. And Amos is prophesying that Israel is going to come to an end. So this book is a big downer. Because basically Amos is saying, you can't do anything to change what's coming. But this is a big shock because Israel is going through a time of prosperity and progress and they think everything is going great. But in the undercurrent, you've got people that are rich and well-to-do are getting richer and more well-to-do. And the folks that are the working class, the lower class folks, the ones that are creating all of that wealth are not progressing. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Um, right now in, the, in our country, the, the wealth disparity is at the, its greatest point ever. And I think that's hard for us to grasp because most of us kind of live in this middle world, right? Where there's times that we struggle to make ends meet, right? And there's other times that we have a lot and we are able to most of the time go to the store to buy the things that we need. Um, and if we can't, we know where resources are to be able to get the things that we need. But the more and more, there's more people that aren't able to do that. And they're not able to uh, attain appropriate kinds of jobs that will pay them enough, that have enough kind of benefits to cover health needs, etc. cetera. Um, I know I'm preaching to the choir about a lot of that. But what I want to say is that the Bible is not this thing that is separated from us just in, you know, in time and in circumstances. And like, it's not a thing that's kind of just out there. The Bible is put together because it speaks to us in the times that we live in. You know, their specific circumstances may be a little bit different. You know, they're not a modern culture. They're not a postmodern culture. They're a pre-modern culture. But a lot of the things that are affecting people's hearts and their economics on a day-to-day -day basis 
are things that we deal with today. <coughs> so um, that's just my shout out for Amos because it is, it is now. What Amos is speaking to is now. All right, so that's all my spiel about intro to Amos. Okay, let's move to the next one. So we're, we don't have a lot of verses today, but so I'm gonna spend more time kind of digging into more of the background of Amos. These are the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of King Uzziah of Judah, and in the days of King Jeroboam, son of Joash of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So he's giving us an idea of exactly when this time period was. So it was about between 760 and 750 BC, just to give you an idea um, of our time. And then he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds wither and the top of Carmel dries up. So Amos is a guy who's from Tekoa. Tekoa is about six miles from uh, Bethlehem. And so he's from the southern kingdom. He's from Judah. But God calls him to go up to Israel to give him a piece of his mind. <laughs> Seek good and not evil so that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take, a, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So that's the famous line from Martin Luther King. Okay. So a little more about Amos. Like I said, he was from Tekoa, about six miles from Bethlehem, you know, just south of Jerusalem. He was called out to speak to Israel from Judah, so he made that trek up to um, Israel. And he was among shepherds. They're not really sure if he himself was a shepherd, but he spent some time with shepherds and people that were grazing in the fields. And like we talked about when I talked about um, David and his call to be the king of Israel, um, shepherds were always related in Hebrew texts to kingship. So that was kind of an important thing. So he's, he's got some royal lineage going on there. Uh, he also worked with sycamore trees, which was an honored profession. I'm not sure exactly what he's doing with the sycamore trees, but they called him a dresser of sycamore trees, um, which I think is cool because we have sycamore trees. You know, it's like they have those in Israel. They have them here. How awesome is that? Um, so in the beginning of this book, we just got that first couple verses. But in the first two chapters, Amos spends a lot of time calling out um, seven different nations that are surrounding Israel that were exhibiting injustice. So they're not treating people well. And so when the ancient readers or hearers were first being introduced to this book, they're like, oh yeah, they're jacked up over there. Look at them over there not doing what they're supposed to do. It's like us looking at the Human Rights Watch list and seeing all these other places where injustice is happening. And then Amos drops the hammer on Israel and their injustices as well. Um, 
And he's talking about that basically they, there's no way for them to turn it around. But these are the things that they're doing wrong. So there, there's a highlighting of what God's heart is for the world. So this is the insight that we can gain. Because you can read this book and it can be a huge downer because it's like, well, Israel can't do anything to change this. They're stuck. This is going to happen. They're going to be destroyed. But yet we can hear what God's heart is for the world from this text. So I think it's there's hope in that. It says, seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. So you've got this hate on one hand and love on the other hand. I mean, those are pretty strong contrasts, right? Um, But we have to know that for the Hebrews, in their writing... You know, this hating and loving is not just like an emotional decision. This is about an action. So the hating means to resist, to push against, to actively work against those things that are considered evil. And the loving is choosing and in working towards and embracing and doing things that demonstrate that these are the things that I have in my heart. So it's not just... I have this list of theological ideas that I sub- that subscribe to, and these are the things I think, and I can write these amazing papers about all of the things that I have ideas about. What this text is saying to us, that we have to live into those ideas. We can't just put them on a shelf somewhere, like I wrote my thesis and it's over there, and so if you wanna know about what I believe, you can just go read that book. No, it's not that. People should be able to know what we love by how we live our lives. How do we treat one another on a day-to-day basis? How do we interact with the person that cuts us off on the highway? How do we respond when the Taco Bell drive-through line is like 20 minutes, right? I mean, Brandon just wrote an article that was in the paper yesterday. I know many of you have read it, like, on the blog and stuff, about suffering, right? And how our idea of suffering is kind of this, it's, all, it's really more about inconvenience for many people. I'm not saying that there's not suffering that we do experience and people do experience around us. But a lot of times we just get irritated. We don't live into those things that we care about. We don't provide grace to people that ought to be extended. Um, And that's really hard. And I always tell myself never to read the comments on newspaper articles or, you know, whatever, even stuff that's in the Republic. Because, like, you see things. Like, just for example, so today I was, there was information about the pastor from First Christian that is going to jail and where he's going to be in prison and the comment that someone made it was one of those things where I don't I don't think that what Justin White did was right it wasn't right and he's experiencing the consequences of his behavior but you can't say you, you can't say the things that people say sometimes it's like 
there has to be some forgiveness. There has to be hope. There has to be mercy that's provided in the way that we care for one another. You know, and I don't know anything about that commenter. I don't know anything about his life. But it makes you wonder, like, where is that lack of mercy coming from? And how does that happen in my own life? How quickly do I get angry about very small things? That in the big scheme of things, they don't matter. So how do we embrace love in a way that means acting in love and in the ways that God desires? So the next thought is this idea of justice in the gate. That's kind of weird, right? <laughs> like, what do you guys think of when it says justice in the gate? Let's do just. You need to do justice in the gate. Yeah, it's weird. Okay, so the gate, the gate is this uh, kind of square in the middle of the city. And that was a place where people could go to get their grievances addressed. So it's like a court, essentially. So the elders of the town would be there to listen to your complaint. And it was supposed to be a fair hearing. So it shouldn't matter what status you have, what kind of authority you have, anything so you could be the little guy you could be the stonemason kind of person who's just doing their daily work um, and you could have a case against your employer and it would be heard by the elders um, and they should be making some sort of um, equal decision based on the evidence that you have just the way that we think about our justice system right which is supposedly equal we have liberty and justice for all but as we know, that's not necessarily the case. Because especially for people of color, you're more likely to be convicted for crimes than if you were a Caucasian person for the same crime with the same type of evidence. There's not equality in that justice. So the same kinds of issues were happening in Israel. There was a lack of justice in the decisions that were being made. And this is the reason why God is destroying Israel. That's a little different than what we expect here. We expect it to be because they're worshiping the wrong kind of gods. That they're um, giving themselves over to all kind of hedonism. That's what we expect to hear Amos saying. But Amos is like, no, it's not about that. that that's also happening. But this isn't the major point. The major point is that they're living lives of injustice to people because God's desire is for all people to be treated in God's image. We are all made in God's image, so we all are image bearers of God. We are all equal. It doesn't matter what the outside packaging looks like or any of the trappings. We ought to be treated equally. We ought to experience God's abundance together. And for some people shouldn't be standing over here hoarding. There weren't fair trials. It was a broken system. Sorry. What did you say a, sec a minute ago that what we would expect of them to be called out for? What is it you said? I'm sorry. We would be expecting them to be called out for idol worship oh, or right. worshiping other gods okay. or um, kind of hedonistic behavior, that type of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a moralism argument. That's not what... Amos was after. He was calling them out for injustice. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one, Quinn. 
I think this last section is a indictment and it's an interesting contrast to the understanding of like pure worship, right? So it's all about getting it right. So I want to read this to you in the message version of this text. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your political relations and image making. I've had, it, I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. This is indicting. The last thing God wants for us is to show up here on Sunday morning and do the usual thing. God wants our willing hearts to be broken over injustice and to see our place in that system. God wants us to be willing to be changed and to grow, to become people of righteousness. Jen? Yeah. Um, I just want to say I think it's really, it's a really important point that you just said to know our place in the justice. Mm -hmm. Because I know that for me personally, I used to think it was my place when I volunteered in the hospital to be a kind of like a champion for the underdog and go against the nurses and the doctors and everything else. And I was making a royal mess out of everything. But my place in the justice is to help people who deal with the injustice. It's mm -hmm. not to it's not to stop the injustice. It's to help people deal with the injustice. So I just wanted to kind of put an asterisk on that to know your place. And I think in the same way, it's knowing our place, like knowing our role to play. And it's also knowing the way that we participate in creating injustice. So it's like knowing how we can participate in decreasing injustice and how we fill into the system and how we add to injustice and repenting of those things and changing how we live. I mean, I've seen it before happened, and I thought, well, that is strange, you know. And I felt like God was trying to show me, and uh, that's what I felt. It was when God teaches your heart to fear for some reason, you know. And we grow. It, this kind of text that's an indictment of worship doesn't mean that worship itself is bad. So one of the things that I was kind of talking about with some of the women after our time on Wednesday was about the millennial generation, right? Like as an example, it's not all millennials, but it's you know, people from other generations as well that have maybe grown up in church or in, um, in Christian environments. And you know, the incredible numbers of folks from that generation that are walking away from church because of 
religious meetings, conferences, conventions, religion projects, fundraising schemes, all of that kind of stuff that isn't living into the message of Jesus. It's all of these trappings of power that are supporting things that are not in the way of Jesus, right? <coughs> and again, the buzzword is always right, authenticity, like authentic worship, you know, making your life line up with your belief. All of those things that we do are who we are. And I'm, and I'm giving us space for grace here though too. I mean, we're not perfect and we're never gonna be perfect, but we're growing into our worship as our lives are shaped by the Holy Spirit, as we live in righteousness and justice. Like that is a super long sentence, but I think that's kind of the whole idea. Like our worship, shouldn't just be something that we do to make us look good on Sunday morning, or this isn't the church that this needs to hear this message really, right? I mean, I probably should go preach it somewhere else today. But I think there's some ways that we still participate in the fakeness and the doing the thing, the not really saying that we're not doing very well, the like not being honest with each other. I think that still happens just because of culture, what we think is appropriate, whatever. But God doesn't want any of that. He doesn't want he doesn't want a mask. He doesn't want us doing the most beautiful ceremony just because we think that's what pleases God because God's like, eh, I don't want any of that. That's ash in my mouth. That's fake. This isn't the only text that says this stuff. I mean, this is all over the book. And you've got Jesus calling out the Pharisees for being whitewashed tombs and dang, they are good at worship. They know how to follow the rules. They know how to make it work and have wonderful looking worship. They follow the rules. They do the festivals. They make it happen. But they are empty because their lives are not connecting with the heart of Scripture. So, next thing. So, the, this text talks a lot about the idea of justice, but then it's paired with this concept of righteousness. And in some of the commentators I read, they talked about these things being connected. You know, justice is sort of the bigger picture thing that we do as a society, right? That's kind of our, our role as a collective entity of people. But righteousness is something that we can do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so here's the definition of justice. Justice is fairness in court proceedings with accurate determination of fault. Okay, that's sort of like the legal meaning of it, right? But when it's connected to righteousness, justice is brought to life because righteousness is a quality of life that's lived in right relationships with other people. So we got to do right by others day to day. Treat others the way that we want to be treated. Because once that happens, justice is born. Because then when we've got a lot of people treating each other the way that we ought to be treated, we create a system in which justice happens because we want treated, people to be treated fairly, justly, and with mercy. One of the, the pictures of this passage is about justice rolling down like waters and righteousness is an ever-flowing stream. You know, these people lived in a desert climate. And here Amos is using this crazy, like, overflowing water metaphor 
this isn't something that they experience. That's not a regular thing for them. They can't just drive a few hours and get to Niagara Falls and see like this ever flowing crazy amount of water like we can, right? Um, I think that image was used purposefully because it's showing the overabundant beauty of God's great kingdom. So they, they are starving for water. They're starving for justice. But God wants to aerate and bring life and newness and abundance. And justice and righteousness bring that newness and abundance. And the, the irony is, is that when people get into the scarcity mentality, that's when you've got the hoarding, right? You're keeping it to yourself because somebody's going to come for what I have. And I'm going to hold it close and I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to be generous. But it's when we open our hands and live in a way of generosity that God's overabundance will come into our lives. We might not have an overabundance of money or material things, but we do have an overabundance of joy and love for each other and excitement about what we see happening in other people's lives and that is a gift because man when we hoard we see people as transactions what can you do for me instead of how beautiful are you and how beautiful is the work of god in your life and come beside me and i want to hear your story and to know you and to see god's love and light in you that's the beauty of generosity and justice and righteousness. And that's God, God's kingdom coming to earth. And when we live in that way, there is bounty and beauty and growth and green and life and lushness all the time. And I know that we live in an age where we get a lot of bad news all the time. We hear all about injustice to people of color, to immigrants, to women, to those who have fewer economic advantages, to people that are addicted. There's a lot of injustice in the world, and there's still a whole lot of work for us to do. But we are a gifted people. We are gifted with way more resources than we know, and we are gifted in knowing a God of abundance. So my encouragement to you today is to keep doing the work. Because I know you're here because we have a heart for that kind of work. Keep doing the work. In whatever way that God has called you to do that work of justice and righteousness, do it. And dig deeper into questioning yourself and the role that you play in perpetuating injustice. Grow, learn, read, discuss. Be challenged, be convicted, be encouraged, all of those things. So now we go to the table. The table is a place where Jesus poured himself out for all of us. He reminded us in this picture of a broken body and shed blood that we don't have to hoard to make beauty. We need to give to give life. So as you're encouraged in your walk to justice today, come to this table and be fed 
by the one who gave all for all and to celebrate that gift.